That's, that's a pretty sharp guy, isn't he? Isn't he? Oh, thank you. His mama was worried about him. Uh, this is your new friend, Trey Kent. Say hello to Trey. Come up here. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Uh, he is a new friend of this church. Three years ago, I was going to a mission trip, and somebody gave me a book called City of Prayer. I took it with me on the plane, and I went, oh, my goodness. Church of the Savior is poised for what is in this book, and our city is poised. It's a prayer awakening, a prayer movement, where churches adopt one day a month for 24-hour prayer. It's called the Unceasing Prayer Movement. Brother Trey spoke at Centenary United Methodist. There was about 100 people there. People got so excited. A lot of pastors said, I'm ready to sign my church up. He's speaking at Consolidated Missionary Baptist Church tonight. And your heart will be touched and on fire. So stretch your hand out toward the Lord's servants. Father, thank you for this, brother, that you're using in Texas and many other states. And, Lord, you brought him and Mary Ann to our city to help our city. So anoint him, and may our hearts be open. May we hear what you're telling us. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. And that is Mary Ann. Hold your hand up, Mary Ann, right there. Thank you, Steve. How many are glad to be at church today? Raise your hand, all right? And how many are thankful for your pastor, Steve? He is an amazing... Yeah, let's come on. Let's give it up for him. He... uh, I've loved hanging out with him, and I hang out with pastors all the time. It's really what I, one of the gifts I get. And your pastor is the real deal. I mean, he's the real deal. I mean, every morning, I mean, I'm a prayer guy, but every morning he gets me up and says, we're, we're going to pray for an hour together. Hey, come on. I know a lot of pastors, not too many pastors that are waking up their guest speakers and say, let's pray for an hour. Amen. <laughs> and then when I got here Friday night, he said, oh, we got a prayer meeting at 10 o'clock because this is our day of prayer. Will you want to go up to church with me and pray? I'm like, Yes. Yes, I do, and I'll tell you why that you do too, why, why we do too. So I want to talk about this little verse here that you know about it. It's, it's key for your church. It's written right on over the door as you walk into the auditorium. It says in Mark eleven seventeen, and let's read it together. Why don't we read it? And he was teaching, ready? And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it? A den of robbers. So here it is, the first little thing, all right? You're either a house of prayer or you're a den of robbers. All right, so how many say, no, 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 I'm going to be a house of prayer? How many are with me, all right? All right, that's, that's where we're going today. We're going to push back. All, so Jesus cleansed the temple. It was the one time he got really angry. He got the angry at the Pharisees a couple times. But then he was really angry because that place of prayer had been substituted and it become something else. And God wants to do that today. He wants to, to clear out what's taken the place. It might be good things, but he wants to take that place back again. He says, my house, say with me, my house shall be called what? A house of prayer for all nations. You are a house of prayer. Not your church only. Your church is a house of prayer. And this is a mighty house of prayer. And this church has been built on prayer. And I knew on Friday night when I was praying with those men at, at uh, 10 o'clock, I could just sense there's been a great foundation laid in this church. And there's a great prophetic call on this church. There's a great, there's a great call on Church of the Savior. There's a great call that has been yet realized. 
It's ahead. And I see it powerfully coming through the young people. It's, there's a powerful call in this church to raise up the next generation. And I see the serious call upon God, upon you, to leave a legacy in this next generation. And it's going to touch the nations of the earth. I can see that. I ran into people that are going, come on, let's give God praise today. Amen. Let's give him praise. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You are a house of prayer. You see, when you don't know who you are, you'll fall for anything. When you don't know who you are, you live for the wrong things. And the problem is we really don't know who we are till we meet Jesus, until we grow in Jesus in prayer. And he tells us who we are. The Father tells us who we are. Any person that doesn't know who they are is because the Father hadn't told them who they are. They haven't received what the Father said. How many want to receive what the Father, who the Father says you are? He says, you're a house of prayer. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Do you know I know the nations are coming to Lexington? The nations are coming to Austin. I live in Austin, Texas, where I live. Austin, Texas, when I got there in 1993, they said, don't come plant a church in Austin. It's the preacher's graveyard. How many know that's not a good thing, huh? And when I got there, churches were fighting with each other. Pastors were preaching against each other. And I said, we need some help in Austin, Texas. And so we just started praying and we started saying, Lord, we, didn't, we just planted our church and we're doing our thing. And then one night, that little woman over there, that little five-foot beauty, my little bride, Mary Ann, my better half, we were on a prayer walk at 1230 in the morning, walking through our little suburb of Austin in Cedar Park. We're walking along, minding our own business, and we're standing under a light pole. I honestly had a prayer guide in my hand, and I was looking to see what was next on the prayer guide, and I sat there, and the Lord said to me, Trey, wouldn't it be wonderful if 31 churches in my city would adopt a day of prayer and my city could be covered in prayer 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until Jesus returns. When he said that, guys, I was like shocked. I'd never heard those words. I didn't even know there was a prayer movement going on. You know, we're living in the greatest prayer movement that has ever happened probably in the history of America and the world. It's going on right now, but you don't see it. And I didn't know it was going on. But the Lord says, no, no, it's happening because I'm telling my people who they are. You're the house of prayer. You're the house of prayer. You say, well, I'm not good at praying. Well, I wasn't either. I was terrible at praying. In fact, I asked the Lord one day, why did you lead me? We have about 100 churches in Austin that are praying night and day. They've adopted a day of prayer, and they pray for 24 hours. They pass it to the next church. They pray for 24 hours. They pass it to the next church. They pray for 24 hours. They pass it to the next church. That started January 1st, 2009. It's been going 14 years. And I did the math last night at Pastor's house. I got my little calculator out. That's 120,000 hours of unceasing prayer. Over a very secular, lost, broken city that Jesus wants to save. You know what he asked me? He said, Trey, I want you to make Austin the most prayed for city in America. And I said, Lord, how do you do that? He says, you mobilize the house of prayer. That's you. You mobilize the people. Everybody does their part. You see, the house of prayer, everybody has a part to play. You know, when I grew up, I grew up playing tennis. I love tennis because you got to play because some of the sports you didn't get to play, you had to sit on the bench. How many know about sitting on the bench a little, right? I think we got too many Christians sitting on the bench. You know, like all of us like to watch football. We got 22 men desperately in need of rest and 50, 50,000 millions of us watching desperately in need of exercise, right? Watching the game. 
And I feel like that's the church, but it's not going to be the church of the future. It's the church of the future is a mobilized church, an on-fire church, a church where we realize I'm a house of prayer. God can use me to change our neighborhood. God can use me to change our city. God can use me to, you know, I want to say this to you. Your legacy for your family is rooted in you becoming a house of prayer. The legacy you leave for your family is going to be according to your prayers. You have not because you ask not. You don't receive because you don't ask. Ask and you shall find. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. How many want to ask, seek, and knock and find out all that God has for us? Amen? Come on, amen. But I want to tell you what some of you are thinking, what I was thinking. I say, God, I'm the wrong guy. In fact, when I got that vision, I called the senior leader of our city, the senior pastor, and I said, uh, could you uh, find someone to do this? He said, do what? I said, God's calling us to lead the churches to pray. And he says, no, you're called to do it. And I said, I don't want to do it. I just want somebody else to do it. And that's so many of us here. You're saying, I don't want to do it. The Lord said, no, you're to do it. And I, honestly, this is the truth. I had a dream. I had a dream after I got that call. And the dream was that I was walking up a high diving board. And I had a suit on. I don't normally wear a suit. And I had a suit and tie on. I walked up that high diving board and I was afraid to go off of it. And, and this is the truth. The reason I went off that diving board in that dream was I saw a little kid jumped off first. And I said, well, if that little kid can go, I can go. And I go, Lord, what am I doing? He goes, you're stepping into this calling I'm having you to do. You're stepping into your future. You've got to jump off this diving board and you've got to go all in. That's what I love about your pastor. I promise you, I know from being, he is all in. And you're all in. This church is an all-in church. We're called to be all in because we're houses of prayer. Well, I remember the day that Lord called me to do this, and I said, Lord, I'm the wrong guy. I said, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy to lead the church in prayer. And I said, Lord, why did you call me? And this is the truth. He said, Trey, I called you because you were the worst prayer that I could find. <laughs> he found someone weak enough for him to use. He found someone weak enough that didn't know what they were doing, that was willing to admit they didn't know what they were doing, admit that I was the wrong guy. Like Moses, he didn't want to lead the people. But God's going to give you, when you find out you're a house of prayer, the Lord told me this, standing back there, there's going to be people in this room that you're going to see Jesus and you're going to see God in a new way. You're going to have a burning bush experience and the rest of your life is going to be changed because you had that encounter with God. And that's what happened to me on that day, on that February 15th, 2008, Marianne and I standing in the light pole. My life has never been the same again. And what's happened is, because of God speaking to me that day, I led a prayer movement in Austin, Texas. And now we have about 100 churches of praying night and day. And because of that, Franklin Graham wanted to come to Austin. And he wanted to do a, a prayer meeting at the Capitol and pray. And they asked me to be the city captain. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And because my dad had just died, it was a rough death. I was grieving. It was hard. I didn't have any energy. I was having trouble sleeping. I just was not in a good spot. And the Lord said, do it. Because your future's on the other side. Listen to this. As you become a house of prayer, he's going to call you to do things that are out of your comfort zone. And you're going to do them. And you're going to walk into a new land that you've never been in. That's what happened to me. And so I said, okay, we'll do it. Well, at that, we called people from all over Texas to come to pray for our state. We had 10,000 people standing in front of the Capitol. Crying out for God to move. And I was like... This is incredible. It's just amazing. And I went home and the Billy Graham guy called me and said, hey, can we meet? And I'm like, yeah. 
He came into town. He said, what's this unceasing prayer thing? That's what we called. When I got home from praying and the Lord said he wanted to lead our city in prayer, and I said, is this even biblical that people pray at night and day? And the Lord said, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Say that with me. And I learned we cannot pray without ceasing by ourselves. We got to have one another. We got to have the family of God. And so I, I met this guy from Billy Graham Association, Brian Allard. He was, the, he was the leader, the overseer of 10 states. He was the manager of 10 states for the Billy Graham Association. He said, what's this unceasing prayer thing? And I told him, and he kept coming back every month. And finally, he says, I want to do this in New Mexico. So we went to New Mexico. New Mexico saw a mighty move of God as they began praying in their city. They have 100, more than 100 churches praying now in New Mexico, Albuquerque area, for God to move. And God's beginning to move in that city like never before. Well, Brian said, you know what? This is so amazing. God's calling me to take this to the nation. So Brian and I are working on this America Praise thing. Now it's in 18 states and in 15 countries. Just in the last couple of years. Why? Because it's the house of prayer. There's nothing special about it. It means that you get to pray. You're an intercessor. Your prayers matter. Billy Graham's gone. Billy Graham's in heaven. Now's the time for God is putting his spirit on the body of Christ. He's putting his spirit on us. How many of you want his spirit to be put on all people, huh? Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Pastor, I want to tell you that 40 hasn't moved. So I'm I'm, I'm going to keep going, all right? So... So listen, um, I want to just share a little bit of a testimony with you because you're a house of prayer. Doesn't mean you're not going to have great challenges that try to discourage you. Marianne and I, when we got married, we were coming back from our honeymoon, leaving College Station, Texas, and a young girl, Barbara Jean Curris, 19 years old, came out of her lane and hit us head on going 70 miles an hour, never hit her brake, and she was crushed through the steering wheel immediately and died. And Marianne and I coming back for a honeymoon, we're riding out of town on Highway 6, and all of a sudden, we, there's a truck in front of us, he moved out of the way, and all of a sudden, I, there's a car that came and hit us. And I was a college athlete, training for a marathon, college tennis player, my dad coached tennis at Texas A&M, sorry about that. And here I am, pinned into a car, my kneecap torn off, pelvis broken, spleen and bladder torn, br- arm broken in three places face lacerated, head injury. My wife's there. The first thing she does is reach over and begins to pray for me. Jesus, please save my husband. And I'm crying out. The 13-year-old girl was the first one to the scene. We don't remember any of this. The 13-year-old girl said, you are crying out, Jesus. How many know when you don't know what else to pray, that's a pretty good word to pray? (laughs) Jesus. And that day, God did some miracles to save us, just like he did to save you. The reason you're here today is because he's done a miracle in you. There was a, a couple, a Christian couple in Bryan College Station, and they began praying about everything. They, they said, we're a house of prayer. They didn't, I don't know if they knew that language, but they started praying, God, when do you want us to go pick up this four-poster bed that you are going to have in our home? They said, the Lord spoke to them and said, go 2 o'clock Monday afternoon, August 5th. If they hadn't been on that road, three cars behind us, you wouldn't have a guest speaker named Trey Kent today. I would have died on that road. Because all my veins collapsed and my body's in, just, just shutting down. And they came in and they were able to put the IVs right in to my artery that I needed to. And all of a sudden, God used some praying people to save a young man who was a new Christian on, with a newlywed because God had something bigger to do than we'd ever seen. How many believe God has saved you for something bigger than you've ever seen? 
How many believe God has more for you than you've ever seen right now in your own life? How many believe God has more for Lexington, Kentucky than you've ever seen? How many believe God has more for Church of the Savior than you've experienced yet? I can tell this, this church is ready to explode. That the calling and gifting on this church is extraordinary. I'm telling you that. I know that firsthand. But some of you have had some challenges. So every time someone comes in my office, it's kind of strange, but behind my deck, I ha- desk, I have the picture of the wreck. And they say, what's that? And I said, God saved me from that for such a time as this so I can live and do the work he's given me to do today. You see, everybody has a wreck. Everybody that comes to my office has a wreck. Sometimes the wreck is their marriage. Sometimes the wreck is their health. Sometimes it's their emotions. Sometimes it's their finances. Sometimes it's just they've given up on life. But I want to tell you, every one of us have a wreck so that God can save us. He wants to come put you back together and say, you're a house of prayer. I've got more for you than you ever dreamed. The enemy tried to kill us. Marianne, that was our first thought when we had our wreck. Said the enemy tried to kill us. And so I'm going to share Jesus with every person. So the first thing she began doing, she started sharing Jesus with the ambulance driver. And then she got to that little hospital and they said, okay, you're okay. We're going to send you to the bigger hospital where your husband is. And she didn't know it, but I was fighting for my life over there. Internal bleeding, all these injuries. And she got in the, in the car, in the ambulance and came back into this Catholic hospital. And there were some nuns there. And she said, hi, I want to tell you about Jesus. She started witnessing to the nuns. Come on. How many know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> you know what I've learned? Everybody needs some Jesus. Everybody needs to be encouraged. Every Christian needs some encouragement. Every non-Christian needs Jesus to know how much, they need to know how much Jesus loves them. So here we are. I'm laying there half alive. They do six hours of surgery on me. Before I went into surgery, there were a man, a man named Terry Takel, a Methodist pastor that's been very key in my life and key in the nation in prayer. And he came to pray for me. He said, I thought, he thought I was dead when I was praying for me. I was laying there. And he said, Lord Jesus, would you, would you heal Trey? And he said, right when he started praying, I'm not proud of it, but I let out a big belch right in his face. And he said, I thought you died. And he said, a couple of seconds later, you looked up and you said, Terry, command me to be healed in the name of Jesus because I'm called to be an evangelist. And I went, he knew that I was going to live. He knew that God had a purpose for me bigger than what I know. Well, so then after they do the surgery, they go into my wife and they say, we got a problem. The problem is your husband's right leg has no circulation and we're going to have to amputate his right leg. She, they said, Mrs. Kent, would you sign this? Here, here's the sign, sign this because we're going to amputate his right leg right now. And she, before she signed it, she said, Doctor, Dr. B. Singer was his name. She said, Doctor, we believe Jesus can heal my husband's leg. And he said, where's your dad? She was 22 years old. Where's your dad? And her, her dad was over there. He'd driven in from Dallas, Texas because they didn't know if I was going to live. And he comes over there and the doctor says, we're about to cut off her husband's right leg and you better tell her the reality. And her dad's strong little fiery Christian with chubby fingers he said doctor we believe God heals doctor says I don't know what to do with y'all but we're signing it right here he went in there but he didn't know while he was out in here doing that there were people out in the foyer in the waiting room crying out to God he didn't know about twin brothers in Houston Texas that got this deep burden to pray and they knew it was for us and they started praying on the phone together they didn't know that there was a lady in there named Carolyn 
and she's a nurse, and she puts her hand on my foot while the doctor's having Marianne sign away the leg and starts praying, Lord Jesus, would you save Trey's leg? And all of a sudden, they couldn't feel any pulse, any circulation until she started praying. She reached down and touched my foot and started praying, and she felt a pulse. And all of a sudden, she screamed out, ah! And the doctors came running, and Trey Kent has a leg right here in front of you preaching today. Amen. The point is God does miracles to make you a house of prayer. He takes you through challenges. There's people here you may think, I'm, I'm disqualified from this. No, you're not. No, you're not. God doesn't choose the gifted and talented. He chooses the available, the faithful, the teachable, those that want to be used of God. We're all a house of prayer. In fact, what happens when you call a house of prayer? The house of prayer or unlikely people come. So in Austin, we've been praying night and day for 14 years. We've seen extraordinary miracles over those 14 years. We've seen churches come together where we were in opposition to each other. Now we're supporting one another. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic churches coming together, praying. praying for, we have prayer meetings every quarter. We have, our smallest one's been 200. Our biggest one's been 2,000. The average one's been four to 500 people coming together from churches every quarter, crying out, God, heal our land. God, save our land. You see, as you become a house of prayer, there's two things you got to realize. There's two rooms to every house of prayer. There's the inner room, and that's what most pastors teach on. 90% of my messages, your pastor, 90% of his messages on prayer have been, you need to get alone with God and pray. How many know that's the, where it starts, alone with God in that secret place? Amen. But we also don't only need the inner room of prayer, we need the upper room of prayer. That's where we pray together for a mighty move of God. That's what we're asking you to do here at Church of the Savior. I'm asking you and your pastor is to pioneer something for this region. Yesterday, after we were at Centenary, man, that was amazing. A hundred people were there from all over the city crying. One man was crying and, and saying, God's moving. I felt God's spirit when you were praying, when you were moving teaching that God's going to do something extraordinary in our city. And I believe he's going to do it. He's going to begin right here at Church of the Savior. After it was over, we went over to where the Cane Ridge Revival was in Paris, Kentucky. It couldn't be more than 15 or 20 minutes from here. And we got there, and I, I'd read about this, and I'd seen it, but I didn't realize the magnitude of what happened. 20,000 people showed up. 50 pastors were invited to preach. And they couldn't believe 20,000 people showed up. They brought their cows, they brought their kids, they brought their families, and they did a one-mile radius around this little church that had been built there. And you can go in that church, you can go in there and still see it, where the Cane Ridge Revival, so a one-mile radius around that church. They cleared the land so that people could come and be revived. You know what I believe, Church of the Savior? You're clearing the land through the prayer movement. It is going on here. It's been going on here for years, but it's going to a new level. God's going to do something extraordinary in this. And you know what happened? 50 pastors were at Cane Ridge preaching. Can you imagine 20,000 people scattered in a one-mile radius and 50 pastors scattered throughout of them preaching and revival hit so powerfully that the cry of Christians in the new colonies was this, do it again like you did at Cane Ridge. Do you know you're sitting minutes away? You're sitting, this is your heritage? 
This is your legacy. And what's the cry? Do it again, Lord, like you did at Cane Ridge. Do it again like you did at Cane. I'm believing God for 50 churches in Lexington. They're going to adopt a day of prayer and they're going to be praying. And those 50 pastors are going to drill down to that well of those revivals that went on at Cane Ridge. And God's going to send great, I believe, a historic awakening to this area. Through the house of prayer, just normal little people like us. I have no idea how much time I have left, Pastor. I think that the devil has sidelined too many of us. He's discouraged us. COVID's discouraged us. Our, our family tr- troubles have discouraged us. But I got news for you. As you begin praying, God, let, me, let me get to my two points. Yeah, sorry about that. That was all intro, by the way. <laughs> Jesus teaches us two things. Ready? In this passage, number one, he teaches us our identity. Say our identity. We are a house of prayer. I want to say this, and I believe I'm speaking prophetically, even though I'm not a prophet. As you press into prayer, secret prayer, alone prayer, private prayer, inner room prayer, and upper room prayer together, you're going to see a move of God, and it's going to start in you, and you're going to see who he's called you to be. You're going to know who you are. You see, I didn't know what I was called to until I pressed in. And God told me, because the world tells you you're this, you're a businessman, you're this, you're a reject, you're a divorcee, you failed here. And the enemy's speaking a word over us. But I got news for you. The other day I was on a prayer walk because God asked me to share Christ with someone every day. So I was on a prayer walk and I hadn't shared Christ with anyone that day. So I'm walking through our neighborhood at church and I'm just walking along and I stopped to see the crossing guard, which is a great person to witness to because they can't go anywhere anywhere. And I said, ma'am, I'm out here on a prayer walk and I just wanted to share Jesus with you and pray for you. And so I did. And I shared with her. And I, when I turned around and began walking about half a mile down the road, God says, I want you to go back to her because I've got a better word I'm going to speak over her than she's ever heard in her entire life. And when Jesus speaks a word over you, it changes you. And there's people in this room like that crossing guard that you have a word over you, but it's been the word of the enemy. It's been the word of discouragement. It's been the word of failure. It's been the word of your past. But Jesus, as you stand before him and cry out to him and listen to him, he's going to speak to you a better word over your life. He's going to speak a better word over your family. He's going to speak a better word over your future. That's what he did over Austin. You see, the, the word over Austin was, Austin's a preacher's graveyard. Nothing happens in Austin. Now, that's not the truth. Austin is a house of prayer. Do you know what Austin, you know, when you go into Austin, you get off the plane, you know what it says right there and you walk in? It says Austin, live music capital of the world. And when I started praying for Austin, Lord said, that's not the calling of Austin. I said, what is it? He said, Austin's called to be the live worship capital of the world. So I started praying into the destiny of Austin. Small, mid-sized little church, not near as big a church as you have. I started praying it, and God started bringing people in agreement. And all of a sudden, we saw these worship leaders start moving into Austin. We start seeing worship leaders come. We start seeing 24-7 prayer and worship begin to arise. We see schools begin to emerge. Why? Because we're praying into the destiny of our city. See, Austin is a leadership city. We're a capital city. So we know that we're, what starts in Austin changes the world. That's what the UT, the University of Texas, where, we, where a lot of 50,000 students go, they have a little phrase there. They said, what starts here changes the world. 
You know, that wasn't a call on UT. That was a call on our city. We began praying. We began to see God doing extraordinary things like this prayer movement and many other things that begin in Austin are starting to go around the world. Why? Because there's a calling on the city. Now listen, there's a calling on Lexington that hasn't been apprehended yet, but it will when you begin to pray for the city. You begin looking at the city. What are the strengths of the city? One is this revival happening minutes away from here. You're going to pray into that. God, do it again. Bring Cane Ridge again to our city. Give me 50 churches that won't stop crying out until God brings revival to our city. But it's just normal people like us that have a better word over us than has ever been spoken over us. Would you let Jesus speak a better word over you? Would you let him speak a better word over you so that you can walk in who you are? You're a house of prayer for all nations. And your mission is to go reach the nations, reach your neighbors, reach your friends. But you know what I realized? I've been at this a long time. I can do, we can do the 50 evangelism talks and nobody shares Christ. You know why? Because we need to be filled with power. The Bible says in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you'll share Jesus. So when you get in that inner room, in that upper room, you're going to cry out to God. You know what happened when I got here? When I got here, the pastor said, we're going to have, it's our day of prayer. We're building this day of prayer, the first Friday of the month, and said at 10 p.m. we're going to go to church and pray. And I said, yeah. Why did I say yeah? Because I'm a house of prayer. Why, why are all you going to be in the prayer meetings? Why are all you going to be on the day of prayer? Because you're a house of prayer. This is who you are. And you won't figure out who you are to the fullness of who you are until you spend time alone with God and you get with the people of God and pray together. And then you're going to figure out who you are. And this church is going to figure out even more who you are. I had a vision, a, a, an idea. I thought, wow. So because after we prayed, there were 14 of us praying together at 10 p.m. And then at at 11 p.m., a young couple came in, and then they started praying. And I don't know what happened after that, but I assume my dream is, my vision is that all night long and all day, there were people praying for this city in this sanctuary and in, in that foyer. And I had a thought, what would, what would happen on your first day of prayer if all of you all were involved? You say, all of us? Yeah, we're all a house of prayer. See, I grew up in a little uh, town called Bryan College Station. My, we went to a mega church named Grace Bible Church. And you know who the prayer warriors were at that Church, five little old ladies. And you know who one of them was? My little old mom who's now in heaven. And I thought that was the greatest thing that those five little old, old ladies were that mega, mega church prayer team. And then God told me, no, the whole church is the prayer team. The whole church is a house of prayer. We're all called to this. We all get to play. We all get to be in the game. And I had this vision. What would happen here? What would happen here at Church of the Savior? If, if whenever you started the first hour, there were 10 people there crying out. And then they went home. And, this, and then at the next hour, there were 10 people praying. And then they went home. And the next hour, there were 10 people praying together. And it went on for 20, that'd be 240 people. Sounds very doable for this church. 240 people given one day a month to pray for a transformed city. All we're asking from you is one hour a month. If you can't give one hour a month to pray for your city, come on. You can and you will because God is doing an amazing work in this church and he's calling this church to help blaze a trail for other churches to come behind you. And you're going to see extraordinary things happen as you turn that one day a month, one hour. You know, 
Some of you men, you're going to pray at midnight. That Marion and I pray at midnight. That's our time. When we did our unceasing prayer, that's our, our day. And so we did it at the church. We said, we want people to come to church and pray. And you know who prays at midnight with us? Two 85-year-olds. They drive 25 miles in at midnight. Are you kidding? A 60-year-old single woman drives in by herself at midnight, and a 70-year-old man drives in by himself. Like, I'm like the young in there, Right? At midnight, we got five people, 85, 85, 60, 70, and my young wife, she's about 30-ish, ish. And then at 1 a.m., 2.30-somethings pray. And at 3 a.m., it keeps going. All night, there's people coming and praying. And you know what's happening? It's changed our church. It's changed our church. And our little church, mid-sized church, is changing the city. I'll tell you one testimony, and then, I, then I'm going to pray for us. A few years ago, our city is growing so fast that we have a water source called Lake Travis. Full of 681 feet. And the lake was down, dried up because of a five, six-year drought to one-third one-third, we had one-third of our water source left. There are city council saying this is going to be a dust bowl in a few years. We have no solution for this. And we as pastors says, oh, you know what? The problem is on us. Because the Bible says in Second Chronicles seven thirteen, if I shut up the heavens and there is no rain, and I send a plague, if my people, say if my people, if my people are called by my name will humble themselves and what? and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. The healing of Lexington is in the hands of the praying church. And so we went to our city council and we said, we want to have a day of prayer for rain. It's this historic drought has to be broken. They said, all right, we'll do it. They didn't really want to do it. We got there and I opened up the city council with prayer and another pastor was going to pray the prayer for rain. And the, the mayor came up to me and says, why are you doing this? I said, well, we believe in prayer. He's kind of like, this is stupid. So I got up there and I prayed. And then the, one of our key leaders, Will Davis Jr., got up, Austin Christian Fellowship. And he said, guys, city council, leaders in the city, mayor, we want to apologize. The reason our city's in a mess is, and it's so dry is because we haven't led well. It's on us. And I'm like, Will, wow, this is amazing. He's repenting for the church not leading well in the city. And he said, but this is about to change. We're going to pray, and we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight, and we're going to see it rain. And that, that lake, which is one-third full, is going to be full. And we finished the prayer meeting and finished the city council meeting. And that night, we went to Hyde Park Baptist Church, where 1,007 Christians came from dozens of churches across the city to pray for rain and revival. And before the rain and revival meeting, 15 pastors were praying. The media kept coming, interrupting us because they thought it was hilarious. Y'all are going to pray for rain? Could y'all do a little interview with us? See, Austin's a secular city. They're not used to this. And so they laughed and they, they had us being interviewed. And we prayed and we wept and we cried and we asked God for rain and revival. We got into our cars and the next day it started raining. Now listen, I'm telling you, it started raining. I feel the presence of God right now. It started raining, 
one weekend, one, that, that lake was 50 feet below. You, I went out there and did a video. You could walk around on the lake where it's supposed to be 50 or 100 feet deep. You could walk on it. And it started raining. In one weekend, it rained and filled the lake 30 feet. One weekend. Now listen to this. They said it rained so much. You know how big Texas is? Everything's bigger in Texas. That whole state, they said it was as if enough rain fell to fill all of Texas for one foot. That's an enormous amount of water. It flooded our, our city. Aren't you ready for Lexington to be flooded with the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, what we realized in our lake deal is that we've lived with half-empty lives for far too long. We've gotten used to living to half-empty lakes and half-empty lives. Half-empty joy, half-empty marriages, half-empty children, half-blessed half schools. And as we began crying out, God filled that lake and we had another prayer meeting. No media came to that. <laughs> and we had another thousand or more people come and say, thank you, Jesus, for filling the lake. The full lake is 681 feet. And they said when the lake gets to overflow level, it's 714. Second Chronicles 714. When there's an overflow, it fills up the lake and overflows into the city. That's what God's doing here through this house of prayer. He's going to fill you up and then he's going to overflow the Holy Spirit out to the city. You know what that's called? Revival. That's, what, that's the end game here. The end game is not starting a day of prayer. The end game is revival. Can I pray for you? I want to pray for you to be filled powerfully with the Holy Spirit. We're about to have communion. And I want to pray that you'd be a house of prayer. But I want to pray that you'd be so filled with the Holy Spirit that you would overflow revival to your neighborhood, to your family, to your work associates, and to your city. Thank you, Lord. Father, I humbly ask that the half-empty lives that I have lived with and that we have lived with would be overcome now as you fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Right where you are, would you just ask the Lord to fill you? Maybe you have a broken life. Maybe the enemy's spoken a bad word over you and, you and you failed and you know it, but the Lord said, I'm gonna wash you in my blood right now and you're gonna be remember it no more. And I'm about to speak a better word over you. The Lord's going to speak a better word over you than you've ever received. It might happen in this service. It might happen tonight. It might happen when you open your Bible and start reading. But I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak a better word over every man, woman, and child in this room. And mark them so powerfully with the Holy Spirit that they'll never be the same. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. The key is to receive what he's doing for you today. The key is to realize don't despise small beginnings. Do what he asks you to do. Take the next step and Jesus will show up. 
Now we're going to observe the Lord's table. So hope everyone has the communion element. We just keep, need to keep in mind this is not some kind of religious ceremony. This is the ultimate reality. I want you to open the top and put the bread in your hand. If you're not a believer yet, this is not for you. You're not ready to do this. If your heart is wrong, you're not ready to do this. But your heart can be right very quickly by saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I repent. I come clean before you. I tell you again, I'm in. I'm all in. And so what this is, we remember what he did through his brokenness so we, every one of us, can be whole and healing and moving forward. This is a dedication saying to him, Lord Jesus, because of what you've done for me, I'm in one more time. So Lord, thank you for your broken body. We receive now our healing. And we offer ourselves to be used to help a broken world one life at a time. Then take the cup. Peel the top back, please. We celebrate the most powerful force in the universe, the mighty, cleansing, liberating, healing blood of Christ. And we're going to do this a little different today. We've heard the word today that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to many of us for a long time. The Lord is calling all of us to be a house of prayer. Our homes, our cars, our desk, our marriages, our careers, we're there as houses of prayer. And we will see an awakening in this city and you will see a legacy in your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors as you press into the presence of the Lord. So as we take, receive the blood of Christ, would you join me in saying, Lord, today, make me a house of prayer for the nations. Teach me to pray. Help me to grow. Help me to thirst for you. Help me to hear your voice when you say, come along, come aside. Let's spend time together. So if you're ready to do that, ask for an anointing to pray. Take the blood of Christ and drink it together.
Lord says, not by might, not by talent, not by experience, not by intelligence, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out now. The altar is open. The wonderful thing, you can respond in your seats, but the wonderful thing about getting up, walking to the front, getting on your knees, when I get on my knees, my heart flies open. And in a place of humility, I feel like I receive even more grace from Him. So during this last song, the altar is open. And we're going to pray that on this church, on you, for the sake of our city, our state, and the unreached people groups, God is going to teach us to pray like never before. And the Father is going to look from heaven. And he's going to see people that are not only his sons and daughters, but his friends. Because he wants to be with his friends. So worship team, would you come and lead us? The altar is open for you to humble yourself, for you to receive even more, for something to die, and for something to be given. Come to the altar. And Lord, I just cry out today on your people, release a spirit of prayer like never before. People watching online, they will feel the presence of the Lord. Their hearts will become tender, tears will come down their cheeks. And they will say, welcome, Lord. So, Lord, pour your spirit out on your people. Teach us to pray. May we feel odd when we don't have time to pray every day. I pray on the first Friday of every month that, Lord, hundreds of us will come to your house and pray for an hour. And I pray, Father, just like the water filling that lake, the water level of prayer will raise in this city, in this city, among your people. Come, Lord. May it be so in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we ask for a release of prayer on our children. Whether they're 40 or age 4. On our grandchildren. On the children of this city, Lord. In every school. Every neighborhood, Lord, the spirit of prayer would come upon children. They would be like little Samuel, age 6, and hear the voice of God say, Cry out by name Samuel Samuel I have a destiny for you 
And Lord, may those children say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. On these children, Lord, pour your spirit out. everyone to stand we're going to sing out this last song it's called I Speak Jesus if you haven't heard it before um, I still want you to join us and let this song be a prayer that we can all pray together um, I just pray that Holy Spirit would begin to, to bring people to mind would flash in your mind and that you can just speak Jesus over them and speak Jesus and release the name of Jesus in this city
addiction leaving. Lord, thank you that there is hope for those who have been addicted. The Lord does not shame you. You are not condemned. You know I'm speaking to your heart right now. You are not condemned. The Lord is speaking and releasing freedom over your life. Reach out to the Lord right now and say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you, Lord, that this spirit of addiction is breaking right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're healing cancer. Lord, we just release healing and speak the name of Jesus over every cancer cell. We speak and release the name of Jesus. Two things before we close. I believe God's presence dropped a deposit in this room on all of us. You're going to be different. You're going to think differently. You're going to hear God's voice. 
And you're going to be able to step out and do what he's asked you to do next. And this city's going to be changed and your family's going to be changed. Just step out. And second, if you're in this room or you're watching online and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to do it now. Do it today. Don't wait. So just pray with me. Just pray with me. Say, Jesus, I have blown it. Jesus, I'm not right. Jesus, you are not the Lord. But today, I make you my Savior. Today, I make you my Lord. Forgive me of every sin. Wash me clean and make me your child. Because today, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm your child forever. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, there's people here to pray with you. And there's prayer folk for anything else you've got. Slip out quietly. Pick up your children. God bless you.